0: Wait, what? That's it? Oh, kilopascals. 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 Okay, okay, okay. So, so a snail is substantially less adhesive right. properties than duct tape. So, if you had to repair your car, and you had duct tape or you had snails, yeah, don't. You know, the duct tape is probably a better option. Now, if you did not have duct tape and you only had snails, hi, my name is Irfan Vafai with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, and I'm Vikram Baliga with Texas Tech University. And this is Jolly Green Scientists, a podcast where we digest research articles and findings from trade magazines pertaining to the green industry and regurgitate them for you. And this week, we're talking about a new invasive snail and growing plants on Mars. Now, you know, I really take pride in the fact that this podcast is very practical. And you know what? It's it's going to be very challenging to grow for for everyday people to grow plants on Mars. Everyone's I'm- asking that question.
1: Yeah, how do we do it? How do we do it? We're all Matt Damon when you really think about it.
0: We've all been there, though, right? I mean, we've all yeah. been like we're trying to grow plants on Mars and it's just not working. Like you're using right. all of your Earth-based textbooks, but mm-hmm. they're Earth-based, right? And it's yeah. like, thanks a lot, extension. Yeah. I'm trying to grow things on Marge. <laughs> Marge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to grow Did things. you ask Marge? Marge from The Simpsons. Her big purple hair would probably be just as like compatible for growing plants as Mars. As, as Mars, yeah, yeah I probably but, so. Well, yeah, I'm, before, I'm looking yeah. forward to the extension yeah. one pager about that. You know what? We should we should do one. I think that would be fun. <laughs> That's a side note. All right. Yep. There we go. So let's uh, let's start off with snails. All right, snails, as we know, are those little slimy mollusks that also have a shell. Now, uh they every once in a while I get calls from nurseries that go we have a big snail problem, uh you know, how do we deal with it? But for the most part it's not considered a a common problem that that we actually face. However, very recently there was an introduction in Florida in August of 2020, of course, 2020. I don't of course. Yeah, it's something bad yeah. happened. What year? 2020. Oh, and yeah. um it's this one snail that comes from like India in that part of Asia. And it's potentially highly problematic. So it actually feeds on a lot of different types of plants from different vegetable plants and even some ornamentals such as chrysanthemums. They even feed on their own dead. Uh, so they will basically feed on anything. And that actually leads into another problem where they can actually feed on like rat poop and, Uh, I'll talk about in a moment why that's problematic, even for a snail to be eating rat poop. But they, they found these snails, and fortunately, it seems like they're somewhat contained. But at the same time, I think it's very important. For growers, even in Texas, to be well aware of this, this small uh, snail that ranges, the shell is about 16 to 18.5 millimeters in diameter. So that's about the size of a dime. Okay. And it's amber in color and rather delicate. And they're called a horn snail because on the rear end, there's like a little bump. It looks like a horn. Uh, now, there is one other native species in Florida that has this bump. But even if you find, especially in Texas, this, this horn, something that looks horned like a snail, I think it would help to let someone like myself know uh, so that we can get an identification on it, an ID on it, and make sure that it's not a introduction of this particular snail.
1: And it's interesting that, you, again, like you mentioned, that I, when my mind goes to major agricultural pests... Um, Snails are not at the top of my list, though. I, when I did my master's, I worked in olive trees, and there is a snail. It's a one of those conical, sh- uh, shelled snails, almost looks like an aquatic snail more than a, a terrestrial one that are, are actually can be a pretty good, a pretty big foliar pest in olive trees. And I wow. don't remember the, I don't remember the species now, but, um, yeah, we would find them all the time when we were, uh, uh down in the olive orchards doing research, but, um, uh, wow. Yeah, that that's still not at the top of my list, you know. Of... No, I
0: mean you don't think of them as, as being able to disperse, you know, very quickly. They're kind of slow. They're easy to spot. You don't they stick think... to things. Yeah. They st- <laughs> yeah. They're quite um adhesive as as we spoke about uh before we started recording, right? Like have they've, they've actually studied the adhesive properties of snails, showing that they can actually that the, the adhesive strength is up to nine kilopascals. That sounds and like a lot. That sounds like a lot, but we have no idea what that means. Um, But they can also, they can lay 45 to 900 eggs per year after maturing. And it can take about four months from egg to maturity to start producing eggs. And then the adult can live about four years. So as you can imagine, the population can grow very rapidly. And the eggs are very small, three to three and a half millimeters, and are translucent, round, and quite tough. So they can be difficult to see, uh, very small, and, you know, probably hard to actually crush or to destroy. Now, I mentioned earlier that they might be of some uh, other concern because they eat rat poop. I know that almost sounds like a good thing because, hey, they're like cleaning up. They're, you yeah, know, way to Throw go, them snails. in restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. But- no, because rats <laughs> um, are apparently not good, right? So rats, there's this, this parasite that can infect the lungs of rats known as rat lungworm. And it can end up there in that fecal matter. Those snails can feed on it. Now, if their slime comes in contact with uh, you know, fruits and vegetables or it gets eaten by a pet or something like that, That nematode can cause some uh, infection and result in meningitis. Now, meningitis is like inflammation of the membrane and fluid uh, around the brain and nervous system. Now, in this particular case, when we're talking about uh, the the rat lungworm, it is not thought to be very uh, fatal. It kind of Hmm. gets better over a couple of weeks. It can be very unpleasant. But we do have some other cases in Texas of types of meningitis, like the amoebic meningitis. That's the one that I were, uh, it's like this bacteria that occurs in warm watered lakes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the same kind of idea. I mean, it causes similar symptoms, I guess you could say. Or right. Yes, uh, like a disease symptomology is, is that meningitis. so called amoebic meningitis. So, um, you know, these snails could be another source of not mortality, but at least very strong symptoms related to that if they really become abundant. So they are a major human health concern for that reason.
1: Oh, by the way, so as as we were talking, I was Googling, um, and the adhesive strength of a duct tape is about 280 kilopascals.
0: Wait, what? That's it? Oh, kilopascals. 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 Okay, okay, okay. So, so a snail is substantially less adhesive right. properties and duct tape so if you had to repair your car do not use snails. You had duct tape or you had snails yeah don't you know the duct tape is probably a better option now if you did not have duct tape and you only had snails i would give it a shot how about chewing gum comparison this is like an actual
1: journal article called Comparison of Adhesive Resistance to Chewing Gum Among Denture-Based... Oh, no. Okay, so this is a different thing. This is saying... <laughs> I, I didn't read far enough into the title. So this is saying like different denture glue. Uh, how well does it hold up to... Oh, okay. To chewing gum. Chewing gum. I, oh, wow. I'm going to say there hasn't been a lot of research on... Um, the actual so I'm,
0: <laughs> I'm guessing that chewing gum probably has greater adhesive properties than... Than snails. Than
1: snails. I think so.
0: And and so if you you know if your dentures came out and you had to put them back in your mouth and the <laughs> only adherent chemical properties you had were snails, <laughs> don't use it if you're planning on chewing bubble gum now because it's not, not strong enough. It's not strong enough. But if you're yeah. not chewing gum, if you're chewing something with <laughs> adhesive properties of snails or less, like less jello. Than nine, like jello. jello, perhaps, would be a very good example, uh, or water. Uh, probably has lower adhesive <laughs> properties than snails. I, I, I'm not sure, but I think so. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, water has some reasonable adhesion, but not. <laughs> I don't think it's the same level of snail mucus. So, so if you, and also I just make sure you disinfect your snail mucus first, because before like you use it to put your
1: your dentures in.
0: Exactly. We do right. not want you to get rat lungworm, by, because you're trying to adhere your dentures into your mouth with snail mucus. Well, I think that concludes <laughs>
1: I, think, oh, I, think Friday, up, man.
0: I think that wraps <laughs> that up pretty good. So growing plants on Mars. Okay, so Matt yes. Damon basically figures it out in the movie The Martian. He does. Right? He, so he just uses his own his own, his own poop. His well, okay. This is a science show. Let's be a little bit technical feces, here.
1: Fine. His own <laughs> human feces. His humanure. It's <laughs> human waste. As, as some people. So, yeah, the whole premise of, not okay, it's not the whole premise of The Martian. But a big premise of The Martian is um, Matt Damon is an engineer slash botanist slash astronaut.
0: Uh-huh and slash actor
1: (laughs) also that yeah and so he ends up stuck on mars and he's like how do i live until they come back and get me and uh he realizes he has like freeze-dried potatoes or like packaged potatoes and he's like oh i can i'm a botanist shoot i can grow potatoes and so he he turns the inside of his habitat into a farm and he hauls in martian soil and he's like oh wait but this is Mars and it's vacuum and we don't have any bacteria and my plants need the human or the the earth biome bacteria in order uh, to, to grow because that's what they're used to. And so uh, he's like, I'm going to use my own waste products, my human feces and mix it into the dirt.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's like the fertilizer, too. I mean, it's also that uh, the. The 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 idea is that the Mars soil just lacks the nutrients, and right. you know, he has that famous line in there. He's like, "I'm gonna have to science the crap out of this," you know, slightly yes. changing the terminology. And
1: I say that quite a bit now. That's yeah. That's- <laughs> If we were to and, adopt it, and then you rate. literally yeah. use your feces, I do, whatever it is. I do. And it's, <laughs> but my employees are always like, no, don't stop. We just no. need duct tape, we don't even have snails. Um, so, so the idea is, yeah, so he creates this microbiome or this, this, uh, I guess a macrobiome and uh, can grow his potatoes. And so they did some research on this because you know, we are planning on sending folks to Mars like very soon. Yeah, I think
0: within the next 10 years, is it?
1: Yeah, we're supposed to be sending human animals, these, you know, weird hairless apes, magical skeletons all the way to Mars and like trying to figure this stuff out. Okay, so if we were to go colonize Mars, do we have to do everything hydroponically? If we want to use something soil based, do we have to take it with us or is there a way we can amend Martian soil uh, to actually be, um, you know, with a biodome or something? habitable yeah. habitable to human
0: plants or earth plants and you and you want that environment to be, that environment to be relatively self-sufficient right so like bringing yeah. soil from earth like shoot that would really get on us a bind real quick uh if we just yeah. rely on like you know you need to haul earth from earth to mars, to mars every yeah. time you want to expand your agricultural infrastructure there
1: which seems problematic for a whole bunch of reasons yes. and so so they started to do um some experiments based on uh, the mineral analyses that some of the Mars rovers have sent back to earth. Like, so it's like, okay, here's what we think the Martian soil is primarily made up of. Let's try to create something similar. So they have used volcanic soil from uh, Hawaii and, and um, some soil from the Mojave desert that is similar in some composition to um, Martian mineral soil. Mm -hmm. And they found that in these in these situations, you can get some plants to grow. Arabidopsis as well as lettuce, they could get it to grow. But it turns out it's still earth soil, right? So even yeah. bringing it here and sterilizing it, or like or like harvesting it, sterilizing it, and trying to say, okay, this is what it's like, we're still in an environment that has all of our native uh, microfauna. Sure, yeah. And so they made a synthetic soil uh, that had all of the different components of um, Martian soil, but it was all lab created and it was never outside of the lab. It was always in a you know, sterile container. And they found that they
0: couldn't grow plants in it. They couldn't even get the seeds to germinate, right? Right. Right. Which is so a problem because you need a plant to germinate for it to start growing. Yeah, that is important. That's a good yeah. step. I mean, you're the plant. I mean, I don't want to step on your turf, but I know. No, it's the true that I'm that disturbing.
1: is that we we typically consider that step one, somewhere yeah. between step one and three. Yeah. And so um, so there were some other problems like so the the Martian dirt was very high pH. So uh, most plants grow best in a slightly acidic environment. So okay. soil pH is from like between five and a half to seven ish is is ideal for most plant growth. Okay. And they found that this synthetic Martian soil, because of the different compounds they used, was about 9.5. Wow. So very basic. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's, so on it's on its way to get a pumpkin spice latte right now. <laughs> and um, so what they did is they acidified it. They used different acids to acidify it. And they could, you know, eventually get uh, both the lettuce and the Arabidopsis to at least germinate. Didn't yeah. live very long, but it, they could get it to germinate. It was like two
0: weeks, right, that it survived, yeah. and then it died. And then, yeah. well, so what else, like, is there other chemical compounds in Mars soil that we don't have that's going to be problematic?
1: So a big one that they think is is makes up 1% to 2% of the Martian dust that's been identified, or the Martian soil, is calcium
0: perchlorate. Ooh, yes, the good is old <laughs> calcium perchlorate. Highly toxic to life. Yeah, not your average table salt. It is a type of salt, but not for human consumption. Uh
1: so no, they found that that it this was completely rate limiting. So your your plants won't germinate, they can't live in this environment.
0: Is there an easy way? So I mean, what's is there that sounds like a major problem? Is there an easy way to kind of clean it up?
1: So there are bacteria on earth that will
0: metabolize calcium perchlorate. Fascinating. So is the idea to introduce said bacteria to the mars um, yeah so the idea is to take
1: maybe a suite of bacteria instead of just saying okay here's one that's necessary for plant growth or for nitrogen cycling or whatever else you know the the, the major uh, microfauna and microflora that go into our, um, water cycle, carbon cycle, nutrient cycle, all of those things. Like those are things that we would have to have. But the idea is that we also introduce these other bacteria that could maybe metabolize the calcium perchlorate out of the soil. Wow. So a- an interesting thought is that, you know, if we do sequential missions to Mars, some of these early missions may be, I mean, we're talking about terraforming. Yeah. Oh yeah, Absolutely. And, and so early missions may be to, to establish agricultural areas, introduce some of these bacteria and let them start doing their thing so that eventually maybe we could grow crops.
0: Yeah. Wow. And, and, you know, I think the, you know, the very interesting thing here, right. Is that we're with this terraforming and colonizing basically a new planet. We have the opportunity to start growing plants without their pests. I mean, you can start growing plants without their diseases. At the same time, there are certain bacteria that are beneficial that we may need to introduce. And perhaps they might rely on other bacteria or other parts of the system. And we have to be very careful there's no contamination because all of a sudden we might end up in a situation where, you know, just one thing wrong. It's going to be such a delicate ecosystem. One thing wrong can leave our tiny budding civilization in Mars in very big trouble.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mean, oh, absolutely. It, we talk about this quite a bit on the show, actually, how all all of the links in this food chain or all of the links in this biological chain are equally important. Mm-hmm. But we don't know. And that's something we're still trying to figure out on our planet, yeah, how all of these absolutely. links in the chain work. And yeah. so, uh, you know, it, it's interesting that in our lifetimes. um we may have people living on Mars, like spending their lives on Mars. Now, maybe not like children born on Mars, but astronauts going there and spending their lives there doing research and establishing colonies. But we have so many uh, obstacles between us and like successful colonization of another planet. And, you know, certain uh, car designers, car builders may have some really great ideas about leaving the planet for, For other planets, you know, tech, tech gurus or whatever. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is that I think this is an interesting point, too, that in the sciences, we don't exist on an island. Like, right. Our sciences do not exist in isolation. So, you know, without the, the propulsion technology to get to Mars, all of this is a moot point. Right. Right. But without this kind of research, the thought of ever moving there is maybe completely a a pipe dream. And so like we have to use an integrated scientific approach uh, to to even attempting or thinking about something like this.
0: Well, yeah, it's incredible how multidisciplinary uh, the the, um, approach needs to be for colonization of Mars. There's just so many, no just plant biologists alone. Would be able to d- figure it all out. You'd need right. to know, you know, people that understand the atmosphere. Maybe people understand the the climate of Mars. People that understand uh, just so many different factors that play into that. Um, and that's why I think if we get our extension publication out first <laughs> on how to grow plants on Mars, we're gonna you're yes. gonna be uh, kind of leaders in this area. We'll be ahead I of mean, the game. Ahead we'll yeah, of the game. That's right. So now any any person, general person, going to Mars you know, we'll have access to the information to grow plants there. And I think that's uh, that's kind of what we do, right? To make sure that information is accessible. Well, there it is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've learned a little something, something about uh, keeping your eyes open for a new invasive snail. Again, currently had only been seen uh, in August in Florida, in, in, near, in the Miami area, um, near the ports. You know, it's pretty common for things to accidentally right. be introduced through ports. And also, now you know a little bit more about uh, what's involved in growing plants on Mars. So oh, Mars. your trip will hopefully, your trip to Mars will be a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more relaxed. You'll you'll be nourished because you'll know how to grow some plants. So thank you so much, everyone. Again, my name is Erfon Vafai with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension. I'm Vikram Baliga with Texas Tech University. I'd like to wish y'all a happy fortnight and a happy Thanksgiving. Please stay safe and we will talk to you again soon.